Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. book of Numbers is called Bamidbar, which is in the wilderness. And this week I feel like what was impressed on me was the importance of being led by the Spirit. And even in the wilderness here, the children of Israel are being led by the Spirit. And that changes everything. We're going to start in Numbers 1, verse 1. Okay. <laughs> we have some new technology today, and we're, we're figuring things out. <laughs> All right. Um, Okay, so the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head, from twenty years old and upward, all in Israel, who are able to go out to war. You and Aaron shall list them company by company, and there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. Okay, so a census is being taken because the children of Israel are getting ready to move on from where they've been camped around Sinai, and God's preparing them for the next next phase of what's to come. So he's organizing them into their, their legions or their armies. And continuing on here in Numbers 1, 48-54, Scripture says, For the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi, Levi you shall not list, and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, and over all its furnishings, and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it, and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp, and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there will be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus did the people of Israel. Thus did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. All right, so the, the tribes were organized around the tabernacle, and, and they, they were set up with the Levites closest to the tabernacle on all sides, and then around that were the camps or the tribes of, of Israel, all 12. So you had three tribes on the east side, three on the south, three on the west, and three on the north. And the, the Levites were closest into the tabernacle to safeguard it, to protect it, and to keep anyone who was not supposed to come in contact with the tabernacle from coming into contact with it. The scripture there said that they were um, they were a protection so that the wrath of, of God would not come on the people. And the wrath of God actually is death at the hand of God. If that makes sense. 
Um, and so, you know, if, if someone who was unholy and did not have permission to go into the tabernacle or to go into it, they would die by the hand of God. You know, it wouldn't be something that where they were put to, uh, they wouldn't be put before the Sanhedrin and tried. It would be God's, uh, it would be a God's decision of how things would be handled there. But ultimately, um, they were, they were situated around, around the tabernacle and they would camp facing toward the tabernacle. So the idea was that God would be the center of the nation, that all the people would be trying to get as close as they could to the tabernacle, to where his presence rested, and they would be keeping their eyes fixed on them. Being, keeping their eyes fixed on him. So what we have is, I mentioned that the armies were getting ready. God was preparing them, organizing them. It has been 11 months since the children of Israel had arrived at Sinai and received the Torah. During these, well, during this time period, right, they'd been preparing the tabernacle. And now within just the last month from where we start in this portion, the tabernacle has been erected. The priesthood has been sanctified. The glory and the presence of the Lord has descended on the tabernacle. And... They've celebrated Passover in the wilderness. So a lot has taken place in this short time. And now they're ready for the next phase. Yes? Feedback on the mic. Can we turn down my volume just a little bit? Okay. All right, we're going to try that and see if that's coming through better. And if not, you can grab Taylor's mic. Okay. I, I thought I heard a little something. So, uh, Paul, if you're getting more feedback, please let us know, and we'll, we'll make an adjustment with either switching out mic or whatever. So, great, thank you. All right. Um, no, not better. <laughs> no, not better. Okay. We now pause for this. Hey, hang on just a second. I think. Paul, Paul's being a backseat driver. I mean, a, a website <laughs> online driver here. <laughs> Is that something? An online driver? Wait, wait, do what? I, I, I turned my mic off. Do you want me to try it again? Okay, hang on. So, um, and this, this mic's off, right? Okay, so, all right, Paul, we're looking for you to come through and, and tell us if we're getting any feedback. I'll tell you what, Paul, how about you go ahead and come on up here? No. <laughs> Fantastic. We're all in for a treat. Okay, I'll leave this here. This okay. The cable's a little short on it, but... Okay. Well, I'll just back up if I need to. Still buzzing. Okay. So I'm going to back up. Okay. So, yeah, go ahead and switch me over. How close does this need to be? Is it pretty sensitive? Okay. So I'm going to try this. And uh, Paul, let us know. How are we doing? 
This is great. We're getting real-time feedback. This is better than the testing during the week. Okay, so I'm going to keep talking, and, and we'll get feedback from uh, him. Hopefully no feedback over the microphone. And we'll continue on here. Uh, okay. But, oh, you know what it might be? It might be the fan. Anyway. All right, said so something. I'm sorry for the online people. We're we're gonna we'll try and figure it out. Okay, all right, well, that's that's a good thing. All right, um, all right. So the Lord is is setting everybody up. They're going to be moving out in three weeks. Now, during this time, the, the children of Israel have been at Mount Sinai. God's presence has been on the mountain, and they've been camped around the mountain. But that, that creates a problem. Like if you think, okay, well, I want to be close to God's presence. So I want to camp around this mountain where his presence is. But he's told us that he has a land for us to go inherit. If we, if we go to that land, we leave the presence of the Lord. Right? And that's, that, that creates a problem that has to be dealt with, which is dealt with through the creation of the tabernacle. Because God's presence then comes into the tabernacle, which itself looks similar to the mountain of the Lord. And now it has God's presence. It's still the thing that is to be camped around. And it becomes a mobile uh, presence of the Lord to lead and guide the children of Israel wherever, well, wherever the Spirit leads them, right? Because the scriptures tell us that when the, when the cloud would lift off the tabernacle then the children of Israel would know that it was time to journey on. When the, when the cloud would settle, then they knew it was time to camp. So they did all of their moving at the bidding of the Spirit, at the bidding of the presence of the Lord. Now, again, the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle was critical because, again, you know that's where we find success is when we're walking in the presence of the Lord, when He's guiding us, when He's directing us, when He's actually even going before us. In Exodus 33 verses 15 through 17, when Moses was interceding for the children of Israel, he was asking the, Lord's pre- asking the Lord to send his presence with him. Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And notice there how he said that, Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, that, that, uh, that they would be made different from all of the rest of the nations? Right? It's God's presence there that made the difference, and Moses was not willing to go on unless God was going to go with him. All right, and then even, you know, speaking of this purpose of the tabernacle, from, uh, oops, I jumped forward. Um, actually, i tell you what, I don't have the verse here. <laughs> but I do, I have Exodus 25, 8 says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so shall you make it. So God instructed Moses in how to build the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was for the purpose of God's presence dwelling among them. And he showed, here's the pattern in the heavens. Now you make the pattern that is in the heavens on the earth. Okay? 
All right, so with being led by the Spirit, there were two aspects that were standing out to me in this. One is that the Spirit brings unity, right? And then the other is the Spirit gives guidance and direction. Now, with regard to the Spirit bringing unity, we have Psalm, you want to go to Psalm 133, verses 1 to 2. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. So the tribes, they were together in unity, right? They were all distinct. They had their own banners. They were camped under them. Some were on different sides of the tabernacle but they were all gathered together as one to follow the ways of the Lord, right? Now, the banners that they camped under, each one of the banners is said to have had a different letter on it, okay? And when you took, like, the group, okay, so you had three tribes on the east, three, tri three tribes on each side, each corner of the tabernacle, and each tribe had a banner, and the banner had a letter on it. Okay, And if you took the three letters that came together on the east and then the three on each side, right? If you took the first letter of each of those sets of four, you would spell it Abram. Okay, You wouldn't get the, the hay, but you'd get Abram. And then the next set of letters would spell Yitzhak or Isaac. And the third set would spell Jacob, Yaakov. Okay? So, if you looked at any banner individually, you had a single letter. You don't get much from that. If you looked at three, you know, of the ones to the east by themselves, you still have nothing. Right? But when you bring all the tribes together and what they brought, you had the names of the patriarchs. And so that was to demonstrate that through unity, they would be able to reveal what God had for them to reveal and to work together to accomplish a goal. So it was about, even though there's di distinction, and each tribe had their purpose and their place, they still had that identity, but together they came together, and something beautiful was revealed. So, And, and you see this also illustrated when, when you look and see the counting of the tribes, right? If we were to look from Numbers 1, for every tribe... It goes through and says just about the same thing, where it says, for example, for the sons of Simeon, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, its numbers, by number of the names according to their head count, every male from 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to the legion, their count for the tribe of Simeon, 59,300. And then it goes through every tribe and it says all those words, except with a different name of the tribe of who, um, and how many there were. That's a really inefficient way of saying what the count was. I mean, couldn't you say, and for Gad it was this, for Asher it was this. For, and we know the Torah doesn't waste words or even letters, right? But God was honoring each tribe by not giving any of them less. So they all got the, the full statement there. And we see it too with the dedication of the temple and, or of the tabernacle and other places when they're bringing their gifts everyone's gift was fully detailed. It wasn't like they all brought this. Could have said it a lot faster. <laughs> but there was, there was distinction and there was importance in God honoring the identity and the purpose that he had given them. But, so when we, besides Abraham, Isaac, 
Well, so so what it is is the names the names that were represented with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob are all four letters in Hebrew, and so each corner, east, south, west, and north, all had one of the four letters, and then um, so there were three groups on each one, so it's three sets of four letters is the way it works out. It's not the first letter of each tribe. It's actually uh, just a letter that was assigned on their banner. That's that's according to tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it is. It's it is fascinating. I, I should have. I should, it, right. It mentions the banner, but then there's the uh, yeah the the traditionally and from. Let's see. So it wasn't actually from the names of the tribes, it was just, they just had the letters. Right. Correct. Yep, they, each, each tribe had a unique letter. And then once you put those together in order, then you would get these names spelled out. Yep. And so the, the uh, their banners, like the colors and certain things like that, what was, um, like the emblems on them, all of that comes from the, the Midrash. So again, it's it's passed down history of what what did they have on the banners. Yeah. So, but it, it, it's a great picture, right? Because it, it certainly calls to mind um, what we have. In, Paul is talking about in Romans 12, verses 4 through 10. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though, though many, are one body and Messiah and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to the faith, if service in our serving to one who teaches, in his, to one who teaches in his teaching, to one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. So can you imagine like the tribes all outdoing one another in showing honor? Like even the tribe of Judah who was given the position of leading the tribes, right? To still outdo one another in showing, tri- in showing honor to Asher who was the last tribe, right? Um, it becomes a, a work given to us to create that unity, to show honor and love. And when you think about what all can be done through when people are unified, you know, consider the Tower of Babel. Even those who are unified for unjust purposes or for ungodly purposes, the scripture says they would nothing would be withheld from them from what they could do. In Leviticus 26, 8, the scripture talks about how five of you shall chase a hundred and one hundred shall put ten thousand to flight see there's a there's a multiplication of the impact when people are together there in unity and even with increasing numbers of unity it's an exponential it may not be exponential because you know the number isn't mean, meant to be explicit it's to be illustrative right um, for also in Deuteronomy 32 it says one chases a thousand but two put ten thousand to flight it's this whole idea of working together in unity creates space for God to move, right? Yeah.
one other verse I wanted to, to highlight in this. When Yeshua was praying in, in his high priestly prayer in John, John 17, he says, The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That last part of the scripture is really important, right? Because it says, so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me, right? That's what the unity, the oneness reveals, right? Just as the names, the letters on the banner revealed the names of the patriarchs, the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in the Lord, not just within this building, but outside of this building, reveals the glory of the Lord and the character of Yeshua. So that the world would look at us and say, I see Yeshua in you, and I want some of that, right? Now, this, the Spirit brings unity, and unity brings the Spirit. In Acts 2, 1 through 4, we have to go here. Uh, for multiple reasons. One, it's unity. But two, uh, Shavuot is this coming Thursday night. Right? So Shavuot is a celebration of God's appointed time when he gave the Torah to the children of Israel at Sinai and when he poured out the Spirit on the Messianic community at the time of, uh, after following Yeshua's ascension. So Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the Lord was going to send the Spirit as a sign of the covenant, right? But the scriptures here express, start out with expressing that the believers were there in unity with one another. There was a tying together there of the outpouring of the Spirit and the unity, unity of the believers. And so I, I think we, we can't gloss over that. Um, when we're led by the Spirit, we will walk out acts of unity. And, and finding ways to outdo one another and giving honor. Okay, so also the Spirit gives guidance. Right? And from here, what we're going to do is we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to spend a little time in the Gospels. In Matthew 4. Verses 1 through 11. Then Yeshua was led by the Ruach, the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he replied, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall command his angels concerning you, and upon their hands they shall lift you up, so that you may not strike your foot against a stone. 
Yeshua said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Yeshua said to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil leaves him, and behold, angels came and began to take care of him. All right, so in this passage, Yeshua has just been immersed in the, in, the, in, the, in the river, and the Spirit has come down upon him, and the Spirit then compels him to go out in the wilderness for this fast, in this time of being tested and tempted by the adversary. Now, if you think about this, Yeshua... When, when he came up and the Holy Spirit came down upon him, the, the presence of God was within him, and he was a temple unto the Lord, as it were. Right? And then God sends him out into the wilderness, but he didn't send Yeshua alone into the wilderness, because God's presence went with him. Right? Just as with the children of Israel, when he's getting ready to send them into, into the promised land, he makes a way for his spirit to dwell in their midst. And even in that scripture when it says, they shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them, it could also be interpreted so that I may dwell within them. Okay? So when we make ourselves a sanctuary, the presence of the Lord dwells within us and guides us into the next step that he has for us. Right? We don't go alone. And that, that changes, again, that changes everything. That changes everything in our mindset when we know that we're not alone, that we've always got the Lord with us, and that He can stir within us and show us what we should be doing when we're listening. Right? And that's exactly what Yeshua does in the wilderness. He goes out and He listens to the voice of the Lord. He's in a place that is a waterless... Well, I mean, there's, there's probably springs around, but essentially it's a place that's not going to have much rain. It's going to be dry. It's going to be hot. And that's where he's fasting, but yet he's communing with the Lord. And in that time, just as the children of Israel were tested in the wilderness, so too Yeshua was being tested. Right? And when he was tested, Yeshua's response was always the Torah. Right? All three responses that he gave to the adversary were from the book of Deuteronomy. Specifically, even the first one was Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3, which says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Interesting that that would be Yeshua's first response to the temptation was the connection here with his time in the wilderness, with the time of the children of Israel in the wilderness, and that the Lord had been testing them to see if they were going to keep his commandments. And now here's Yeshua in the wilderness being tested to see if he was going to keep the Lord's commandments. Now, does that sound like a strange thing, right? The idea of Yeshua ever not keeping the commandments kind of becomes, wow, is that even possible? 
Well, it has to be possible for him to be tempted in all things as we are tempted, right? Because Yeshua was here, emptied himself, and became like a, became a man, subject to all the temptations and sufferings that we are, that he might prove what the Spirit can do when the Spirit is given full reign to lead and guide us, and we submit to his authority. So Yeshua's answers were all from the Torah. Because, and he knew the Torah because he had hidden God's word in his heart so that he might not sin against God. Right? I don't know that we can all say that we've hidden God's word in our heart to the degree that Yeshua was able to say it. Because he spent a lot more time than, than we do in committing the scriptures to memory. Right? But, but we have taken parts of the word, right? All of us in, in, in reading the word and studying that's placing his word in our hearts so that we might dwell on it, that we might be strengthened by it. And the spirit can bring those scriptures to mind in the time of need. And then when those scriptures come to mind, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Are we really going to be guided by the spirit and walk as he's leading? You know, speaking of, you know, Yeshua spent more time in the word than we do. Uh, in fact, the the whole nation of Israel pretty much spent more time in the Word than we do back in, in these times. Because study of the Torah started at age five. And that was the primary focus, is all the learning was done from within the, the context of the Torah. And so they, they, they hiding the Word in your heart was done to a much greater degree and the thing was, God was truly the center of their lives and of their culture, of their communities. And over the years, we've drifted away from that. Right? But there's always the opportunity to go back to having God be the center. Too often, we let our, our, our world, our, our job, our other activities become the center that we then kind of revolve around. Right, and then we throw God in on Shabbat, you know, or throw God in uh, on Thursday night Torah study, which is great, by the way. <laughs> but but the thing is, the the idea that God had for the for the community was to be camped around the tabernacle, camped toward the tabernacle, where He was always the center, where He was always the focus. Right. And so that's really how we're to order our lives. And, and here at Emmaus Road, we're, that's what we're working towards doing. Right? We come together on Shabbat, on the day that God has set aside as holy. Every week we're being drawn back to his holy and appointed times. We're celebrating the appointed times. We're uh, marking the new moon, sanctifying the moon. So on a, on a weekly basis, monthly basis, annual basis... We're always focused on his times. And daily we need to be in his word such that we can be daily called back to what he has for us so that he can truly be the center of our lives. And dependency on the Lord, right, really does nurture spiritual health. If you think about the time that Yeshua spent in the wilderness, he was wholly dependent on the Lord to sustain him. Right? And that creates a spiritual health. Um, so we get that through, of course, through fasting, through prayer, through our times uh, with the word, our times of worship. And in uh, these Shabbat services, of course, 
Now, speaking of this spiritual health bringing nourishment to us, I want to go take a look at um, a passage here that is just after the birth of Yeshua. Okay, we're going to go to Luke 2. In Luke 2, Yeshua has just been born, and the scripture says, starting in verse 21, when eight days had passed for his brit milah, his circumcision, he was named Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification were fulfilled, according to the Torah of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present to the Lord, as is written in the Torah of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the Torah of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Actually, I'm going to back up real quickly. In this passage, there's three different commands that were, that were carried out, right? On the eighth day is when a male is to be circumcised. And then... It says, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Right? That's actually from this week's portion in Numbers 3. And in Numbers 3, it speaks of the redemption of the firstborn. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and go there. And then we'll come back to Luke. <laughs> um. The redemption of the firstborn. When, when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, God passed over everyone who had the blood on the door. But the firstborn of all Egypt died, and the firstborn of Israel lived. And within that, God purchased for himself the firstborn of all Israel, such that they were his to a different degree. They were sanctified in a, in a different way than the rest of the world that also belonged to God. All the world belongs to the Lord. But the firstborn were then set apart, and they would be his to serve him in the tabernacle. right? But then after the sin of the, of the golden calf, the Levites merited the service in the temple. Okay, And here in Numbers 3, verse 11, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn of Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. I guess I could have read the scripture instead of giving you the summary. But <laughs> um, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, List the sons of Levi by fathers' houses and clans, every male from a month old and upward you shall list. So Moses listed them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. Now, when God took the census of the tribes of Israel, they counted everyone who was 20 years and up who could go out to war, because that was the age of those who could go out to war. But here when he's saying take the census of the Levites, he's counting from one month and up. Okay? And there's a reason for that. Okay. What's this passage might tell us? 
and Numbers 3.39. And those listed among the Levites whom Moses and Aaron listed at the commandment of the Lord by clans, all the males from a month old and upward were 22,000. And the Lord said to Moses, List all the firstborn males of the people of Israel from a month old and upward, taking the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel. And the cattle of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the people of Israel. So Moses listed all the firstborn among all the people of Israel as the Lord commanded him, and all the firstborn males according to the number of names from a month old and upward, as listed, were 22,273. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, and the cattle and the Levites instead of their cattle. The Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. And as the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn of the people of Israel, over and above the number of the male Levites, you shall take five shekels per head. You shall take them according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of twenty geras, and give the money to Aaron and to his sons as the redemption price for those who are over. So there were 273 males who were the firstborn of Israel who were one month or older. Verses 22, and, you know, so they're next to 273 over the number of Levites that had to be redeemed with five shekels. Now, when God did this, when he redeemed all of the firstborn males of Israel with the children who were Levites, he, he redeemed all those who were alive at the time. But all the firstborn of Israel who were to be born after that would still be the Lord's because he had still purchased them at Passover. And so even to this day, the firstborn who opens a womb is still, re is still redeemed with five shekels. And so it was even in the days of Yeshua. So when we were reading there in Luke 2, when it says, They brought him to Jerusalem. And, it, and every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. They're speaking specifically about Yeshua was being brought there to be redeemed, right? Because he was a firstborn of Israel. He had to be redeemed, so they were doing that. So they, they circumcised him on the eighth day. They waited until the days of Miriam's purification were done. They came to the temple to, to give the offerings, the two young pigeons. And they came to pay the redemption price for Yeshua. All right. It's really interesting how when we read this, we could miss there were three key things that went on here in that first 40 days. Christine, did you have something? Good question. So from what I read, they they drew lots to see what which 273 would pay. Okay. So there were 273 males who paid the five shekels there in the wilderness. Yep. So drawing lots. <laughs> um, good question. So, all right, so that, that's what, so Joseph would have paid the five shekels, but to do this, you, they had to go to a priest and, and, and pay the redemption price. 
they had to give it to a son of Aaron. And so that's when we come to the rest of this part in Luke 20, uh, in Luke 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and pious, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the anointed one of the Lord. So in the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought the child, Yeshua, to do for him according to the custom of the Torah, right, speaking of the redemption, Simeon received him into his arms and offered a bracha, or a blessing to God, saying, now may, you let your, now, now may you let your servant go in peace, O sovereign master, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, your Yeshua, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were marveling at the things that were said about him. And Simeon offered a blessing over them, and said to Miriam his mother, Behold, this one is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and is to be a sign that is opposed, so the thoughts of many hearts will be uncovered, and even for you a sword will pierce your soul. And continuing on, it says, Now, now Hannah, or Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, was a prophetess. She was well advanced in age, having, living, having lived with a husband only seven years, and then as a widow until age 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. And coming up at that very instant, she began praising God and speaking about the child to all those waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Simeon was a priest, right? I mean, it doesn't actually say that. It says that he was a righteous one and a pious one. But what they would have done is they would have brought Yeshua. They would have handed him to a priest. They would have had blessings said over him. And they would have given the redemption price, and they would have gone through a whole ceremony with this. And so Simeon was the priest who received the redemption money, and he was the one who the Lord had said, you will see the Messiah before you, before you die. And you know, it said that the Spirit came upon him. The Spirit led him up to the temple, right? So that the word of the Lord to Simeon could be fulfilled, Right? But again, he had to be listening. He had to be one who had set himself apart, who would hear from the Lord and know what the promises were, to know where to go, what to do. And he saw, he saw Joseph and Miriam and the child, and he's like, they need to redeem that child. <laughs> and he got to be the one. So how cool is that? And then, too, mentioning Hannah, you know, the prophetess, who by the Spirit of the Lord, began prophesying over Yeshua in that time. I just love that, because they had made the Lord the center of their lives. They had put their focus on Him. And because of how they had done that, the Spirit moved in their midst. So with this, with the, with the idea here that the Spirit is... The Spirit is an incredible blessing that God has given, both as a sign of and a promise of what's to come, but also in the daily activity of our lives, in the daily working within this body, within our families, to be that unifier, to give us the 
to give us the unction, you know, to give us the, the direction of where to go and what to do, what to say, what to, what to hold back on, the wisdom that he imparts through that as we make ourselves a temple where in which the Lord can dwell within. So we're waiting for Shavuot. Yeah. So the giving of the Torah is 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 also part of Shavuot, or at least the time. Does that mean that the, the, the Ten Commandments were given fifty days after Passover? Yes. And was and Pentecost was fifty days after crucifixion. Yes. Yes. Uh, according to tradition, the Torah was given on the festival of Shavuot, which was fifty days following. The Passover in Egypt. So, well, it just amplifies the importance of this Shabbat. Yeah, it's it's it is a it, it's very significant. Uh, of course, it's one of God's appointed times. One of the times that He is working out His plan of restoration. Yeah, Shabbat is a season of covenantal increase. And they, Elena, when when you talk about covenantal increase. There's an increase in relationship, an increase in intimacy, an increase in responsibility, right? So the children of Israel were redeemed out of Egypt at the time of Passover, and then they were brought through the wilderness for 50 days, you know, arriving in Mount Sinai on the first day of that third month, which the first day of the third month is actually tomorrow. Jared's about to talk about uh, Rosh Hodesh, because Rosh Hodesh begins this evening at sunset, and... Uh, so they arrived at, at Mount Sinai on that first day. Five days later, according to, to tradition, is when uh, the children of Israel were given the Torah, when God spoke forth the Ten Statements or the Ten Commandments. And he was taking unto himself a bride. That's another key theme of Shavuot is bridal associations. One of the things that we'll do this coming Thursday night is read the book of Ruth, which is traditionally read at this time. It's a time of the harvest. Right, you know, we think about the the wheat harvest. That's the that's the rich man's harvest because that's the the fine grain. You know, you have the barley harvest, which is not as fine of a grain. Now you have the wheat harvest, and so it's the rich man's harvest, and the rich man is God. You know, and, and he brings forth his harvest. What's his harvest? That's his bride. You know, so you have the harvest, you have the bride, you have covenant increase, which is the Torah given as part of the the covenant made there. At, uh, at Sinai, and then you have the Holy Spirit given as a down payment for the new covenant established through Yeshua that will be fully consummated at the end of the age. Yes? So when it first happened, when five days later Moses brought down or received the Torah, Ten Commandments, what was just the Ten Commandments? It wasn't all of it. So, I can't remember all the details. Um, no, but but when when uh, when the when the Lord came down on the mountain and there was lightning, when there was you know the fires and the thunders and the shofar sound, that was on the day of Shavuot according to tradition, and that's when He spoke forth the the ten statements. Now, it was there at Sinai that all the commandments were given. Um, I don't know 
if it was on that day specifically. Um, but that's something we can definitely find out. No, no, it absolutely makes complete sense. So the question was, do, did the celebration of Shavuot exist before the giving of the Torah? Okay, and so the answer to that is the, the appointed times were all created on the fourth day, or they were set on the fourth day of creation. Um, I'll go there real quickly. Um, Genesis one fourteen. God said, let there be luminaries in the firmament of the heaven to separate between the day and night. They shall serve as signs and for moedim, which is appointed times, for days and for years. And so uh, it's, it's believed that it was at that time that the appointed times were established even before the creation of man. And these being established for the distinct purpose of restoration and God's working out his plan of restoration through time. So even before the Passover in Egypt, God was already working at the time of Passover. So um, when we look and see uh, right around the circumcision of Abraham, that time of the covenant, um, the birth of Isaac, um, there were multiple other times that God was already working in that time of redemption. And so was there a time before the giving of the Torah at Sinai, that God had done something on Shavuot? Maybe. I don't know. You know, uh, Stephen, do you know? Amen. Yeah, the, the order that God created from the beginning, and in that last point, like you made, made, that God, when he called forth the light, it wasn't this ordinary light because the sun was not made. It was the light of Yeshua. But yeah, all, and so Shavuot existed before the giving of the Torah. But, you know, had it been revealed as a celebration to the people yet? I don't know. Um, but it, it was there. It had been, the provision had been made and now that God was carrying out his works. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, but David, like you said, this is a very significant uh, holiday that's coming up, right? We've been counting up to it. That's why we count for 50 days. You know, it's the preparation of the bride being ready to meet the groom. Right? Should be bigger than the 4th of July. <laughs> Should be bigger. Well, I, I bet the, fire, the fireworks were certainly better than uh, the 4th of July, I tell you. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, well, and, and that's one of the things, too, when you look into the story of what happened there uh, in the book of Acts, when it details that there was a mighty rushing wind, and they were filled with the Spirit, and the tongue came and divided itself among them. Well, all that is from tradition, even about what happened at Sinai. You know, you can, you can put them up, they're a mirror image. God gave that as a connecting point where you'd say, wait a minute, we just read about all this happening in readings from Ezekiel and the, and the readings that would have been done in the temple that morning. And now here we are, it's, it's happening in our midst. You know, and so there would have been an association. That's when Peter stands up and starts to say, this is what foretold, was foretold by the prophets. You know, God is pouring out his spirit. And uh, so, yeah, this, this is a, a key time. It's a time of expectancy because we know it's this time of increase. We know it's the time of the Lord saying, come near to me. And so we're making ourselves ready in approaching this day saying, yes, Lord, we want to meet with you, right? And so that, that's really where we are. And, and within this, our desire is to be found as the faithful bride, right? That is without spot, without wrinkle. And we're only going to do that with the Spirit within us, guiding us, creating unity, and really bringing us together so that we fulfill what Yeshua prayed for, that we would be one as He and the Father are one. Right? We're still unique. We're still different. Just like the tribes were unique and different. But yet they came together in one accord with their eyes fixed on the tabernacle to do the will of the Lord so that he might be revealed. It's the same with us. We come together with our eyes fixed on Yeshua, seeking to honor the Lord in our lives so that Yeshua might be revealed and that others might see and say, you're children of God. Yeah. Amen. I want to thank also, too, you know, the season of the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, five had less of oil. Five had full oil that was prepared. Well, if you look at the oil, what does it represent? The oil actually represented the light. Solomon says the light is actually Torah. Mm-hmm. So they were walking in half the Torah of disobedience. Mm-hmm. And the rest were full obedience. Mm-hmm. So when the bride, the, the bridegroom came, yeah. they were not ready. Yeah. yeah. There's no way to there's no way to go out and buy forty years of Torah <laughs> and that blessing. And when they did, they came back and knocked on the door and said, Pride, I don't even know you. Yeah. Oh, it's just a reminder of our stipulation and mandates and making sure we're ready. Yeah. That's, Amen. So both comes pretty soon and then that's the gathering for what the bridegroom. Yeah. yeah, the in-gathering of the nations, and yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and let Jared come up, and then uh, then after that we can... All right. Yeah. Okay, well, y'all basically just said everything. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. So, no, we're good, we're good. Amen. Let's pray. Um, so, tonight is Rosh Hodesh uh, for Sivan. Sivan is the third month of the month of months. <clears throat> it is, the meaning is season or time. Uh, the blessing is a covenantal time of blessing. Uh, so it is a time of the, the covenant that was given um, at Mount Sinai. Um, 
the uh, the areas of healing, as we talk about usually every month, there's an area of healing, an area, an action based on that area of healing, uh, and the warfare that takes place, the spiritual warfare that takes place during that time. An area of healing during this month is uh, mental division or double-mindedness or internal conflicts. Um, an action that you need to be able to combat that is just meet with God, set boundaries with others, and take your inheritance. Know what God has given you uh, and not, be conf- not let the enemy confuse you, which is where the double-mindedness comes from. Uh, the warfare is that to bind the fear of uh, deep spiritual experiences. Um, and then the holiday during this month is Shavuot, Pentecost. Uh, and almost every time I would look at Savan, it was basically everything was deep. Usually there's a whole bunch of activities throughout the, most of the month. Everything was focused on this first week. First week is really the preparation of uh, Shavuot. So Savan, the literal word, is only mentioned once in the scriptures in the book of Esther, chapter 8, verse 9. Um, Savan will always have 30 full days. So Rosh Hodesh is observed for only one night, or for one day. Uh, but Rosh Hodesh Savan is distinguished as the day on which the Jewish people arrived and camped before Mount Sinai. Uh, the Torah describes this with the phrase Israel and um, Exodus 19.2, that Israel camped before the mountain. And the verb is vayakam, or camped, and that is stated in a singular form. Just as you were talking about, they were all one. Um, And so it's in contrast to the other verbs in that narrative. So this describes how the entire people camped as one person, one heart, one one mission. And it says, this parallels with Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when it discusses the disciples being of one accord. Oh, there we go. See, told you. We've already talked about all this. Um, so, Savan 2, the second day, is called Yom Hamayukas. Yes, I said that right. Or the Day of Dedication. All right, since it was on this day that the people agreed to accept the Torah. And then because of this, Moses had instructed them to prepare themselves to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is in Exodus 19, 6 through 8. So some circles, so some people actually celebrate that as a minor festival. Uh, Saban 2, really focusing on, I'm about to dedicate myself. So the next three days, uh, Saban 3 is when the Lord instructed Moses to set a boundary for the people around the mountains in preparation for the coming revelation to be given three days later. So these days are called the three days of separation during which the Hebrew people prepared themselves for the revelation to come which was the giving of the Torah. Uh, So basically the first five days of Savan anticipate the day that Torah was revealed to Israel at Mount Sinai, which was on Savan 6, known as the festival of Shavuot. So the name Shavuot means weeks. It marks the completion of the seven-week counting period between Passover and Shavuot. Uh, It also means oaths, for this is the day that the Lord swore an eternal devotion to the Jewish people, and in return, the Jews pledged everlasting loyalty to him. Um, So for traditional Judaism, Shavuot is a time for the young adults to recommit themselves to Talmud Torah, or the study of Torah, and the decision to live as a Jew. But we can just take that as this is a good time to rededicate ourselves to our relationship with the Lord. Um, So according to the sages, 
The festival of Shavuot marks the culmination of the experience of redemption, sometimes called Atzerat Pesach, which is the conclusion of Passover. Since the exodus from Egypt was intended to lead the revelation that was given at Sinai, the goal of Passover was the, was the giving of the Torah to the Jewish people. God took them out of Egypt so that they would be his own treasured people, holy and separate from the pagan cultures around them. So the culmination of Shavuot was really the whole purpose of him bringing them out of Egypt so that he can make them their, uh, his people. Um, additional customs for Shavuot includes decorating the home in greenery, eating dairy and sweets, as of milk and honey, uh, staying up the entire night before to read selections of the Torah and the Talmud. Um, and for the Messianic Jews and Gentiles that recognize Yeshua, uh, Shavuot is a time of celebrating the birth of the Kalat Masiach, or the Bride of the Messiah, as we had just talked about. Um, since the, uh, the Ruach HaKodesh, i just get my practice here, my, my Hebrew words here, the Holy Spirit... This was the time that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers in Jerusalem during this specific festival. Um, and so everything about Sivan was basically set up for Shavuot. And the Shavuot is, so this whole month, it, after this first week, it's really a focus of your covenant, a reminder of the covenant that God made with you. And sometimes it could be... Um, a covenant that you've made with him as well, or, or any promises that you made with him to re review that, talk about him, about that, T talk to God. Uh, you know, he the healing of mental division or, or double-mindedness, you know, create no boundaries. God had to set boundaries so that they would not go in and accidentally kill themselves for getting too close to him. So symbolically, it's a time to set boundaries for people that could lead you astray or not, it would not intentionally, but unintentionally could lead you into what you're not called to do. Um, and so that is all I have for Sivan. I don't know if anybody else has anything that they might be aware of. I'm going to open that up. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and say the blessing. I only wrote it down in English. Sorry. So, but God, may it be your will. Lord our God and God of our fathers, that you renew for us a good month in our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.